How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Awesome. This morning's reading is from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and 11 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all, made, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the, of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you again for being with us this morning as we uh, come to the conclusion of our Beyond study. The passage we're looking at today comes from the remarkable New Testament book of Ephesians. I say remarkable, every part of the Bible is remarkable and fully inspired by God, but what, what makes this book so interesting is the way it's laid out. Book of Ephesians could be divided into two halves, with the first half emphasizing rich theological truths. It's all about what God has done for those of us who are in Christ. The second half of the book talking about how to live out those theological truths. So the first half we might call theological, the second half practical. One of the main themes of the book is the church. One of my favorite Bible commentators, James Montgomery Boyce, says the book of Ephesians is a mini-course in theology centered on the church. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, we learn that God has done remarkable things for every person who has accepted Jesus as Lord in us and plans to do for us. He has raised us up together with Christ. We were spiritually dead. He's made us alive. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's brought us into an eternal inheritance. He's done all these things for us. And then we get to chapter 4 and verse 1 because the book divides right in the middle, chapters 1 to 3, 4 to 6. When we get to chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, now live it out, walk it out. The passage we'll look at this morning is the very begin of this, beginning of the second part of Ephesians, how we live out the realities of what God has done in us and for us as followers of Jesus. Let me pause just a moment and say this. The order of things in the book of Ephesians is important. There is a lesson there. There is a message there. When God shows us what he has first done for us, and then calls us to live in a certain way, the order's very important. God is the initiator. Our response in life is to what he's already done for us 
in the gospel. The message of the gospel is that God acts first. When we were dead in our sins, God in his mercy sent Jesus to bear our judgment on the cross, and he brings us into a lifelong eternal fellowship with himself. He then calls us to live out of what he has already done in us. The gospel is not do certain things and you can be reconciled to God and be saved. The gospel is God has taken the initiative in his mercy to reconcile us to himself and to save us. Now do certain things as an expression of your love for him as a response to what he's already done in us. So the order is important, and I think that order is emphasized in the book of Ephesians. Now, as we talk about living out what God has done for us, the Apostle Paul calls us to do three things in particular that we'll look at this morning. First, to embrace your calling is part of the one body. Embrace your calling. And he says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, and by the way, the Apostle Paul was in a Roman prison, when he wrote this letter, he calls himself an ambassador in chains. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He's saying, now that you have been brought into this eternal relationship with God through your faith in Jesus, live it out, walk it out. Live in light of this holy calling. And he calls us to relate to one another in four ways in particular. First, with humility. He's talking in this context not so much about humility toward God, though every believer in Jesus should live with the utmost humility before God. He's talking in this context about the way we relate to one another with humility with gentleness, with patience, and bearing with one another in love. I was looking up the, the word meanings of these words, uh, the, the Greek words here, and the one for bearing with one another, put it very, very simply, putting up with, putting up with one another in love. Now, now we're talking here about the oneness of the church, the body of Christ, God's people those who are Christians, believers. But I think the principles could very well be applied in the home. For those of you who are married, a Christian marriage is in some mysterious way to be a reflection of the love of Christ for the church. One theologian said that, that every, every, every home should be like a little church. Now, these principles are certainly important if you're going to have a, a healthy Christian marriage. It's going to require humility toward one another and gentleness and patience and, yes, putting up with one another in love, bearing with one another. So the Apostle Paul is saying here, embrace this part of your calling as a follower of Jesus. Secondly, he teaches us in this passage to embrace God's vision for his church, the body of Christ. As we read these verses following, note the word we, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is, I believe, part of God's vision for his people, for his church, for his body, 
until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That's, I believe, God's vision for the maturity, the development of his church. And we see here three things in particular that God seeks in his church. One is the unity of the faith, that we come to this place where we're united in our faith around key beliefs. This does not mean or imply that all Christians in every church are going to agree about everything. There are many of us here in River Oaks, even among our leaders, who would have some disagreements about minor issues. This is where I think the, the motto of our uh, church body, the EPC, is, is really important. And by the way, if you grew up a Moravian, you'll recognize this motto because the Moravians had it first. The Moravians have been a, around a whole lot longer than the, the EPC, which started in the 1980s. But the model, motto is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity or love. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. and all things, charity or love. Now, the essentials are those foundational teachings of the faith. Those things that are critically important to a, a correct view of what Christianity is all about. Already in chapter 4, as we read a moment ago, the Apostle Paul has stressed there's one body, one spirit, just as you're called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He's calling us to be united in these key issues of the faith, and he's calling us to spiritual maturity. Now let me read again for you verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. God doesn't want you and me to be blown around in our faith by different winds of doctrine. Now, wind of doctrine is just a teaching. The word doctrine that's used in the Bible simply means a teaching, a biblical teaching. God doesn't want your life to be shaken your faith to be shaking, shaken by every weird teaching that comes along. And weird teachings have come along ever since the church began. Suppose you're home this afternoon flipping through TV channels and you see a preacher who's preaching and you pause to listen and he's drawing to a conclusion and he says, if you'll send $1,000 today, right now, pick up the phone and call $1,000 dollars right now, you'll get your healing. God has told me, you send a thousand, you'll get your healing. God doesn't want you to be blown around by a weird teaching like that. Nowhere in the Bible does God suggest you give an amount of money to get your healing. The Bible says, pray one for another that you may be healed. You may be at your home this afternoon and somebody knocks on your door and you answer the door and there are a friendly couple of people there who want to talk to you about faith. And they seem real nice and even seem like perhaps they're Christians. But one of them points out to you the, the fact that the word Trinity 
is never found in the Bible. And he goes to a passage of Scripture where God the Father is speaking while Jesus the Son on earth is being baptized, and this person makes the point, there's no way both can be God. You know, that would be two gods. And the Bible says there's only one God, so this belief in the Trinity is a false belief. Are you mature and grounded enough in your faith to say, wait a minute now? Maybe the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the teaching of the Trinity is found from beginning to end in the Bible. That there's one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Christian church has believed that through the ages since the very beginning. God doesn't want you and me to be shaken by these winds of doctrine that come, come across our paths in life as part of spiritual maturity. So I'd ask you this morning, are you aspiring to God's vision for your spiritual maturity? Our vision that Andrew mentioned earlier for 2025 is really based largely on discipleship, disciple-making. That is, all of us, children, youth, adults, growing stronger in our faith so that our ministry of the world might flourish even more. So I'd encourage you to grasp a vision. We're, we're soon going to be looking at a new year. And I hope you'll have a vision as you go into this new year and think about goals and things like that of growing in your faith to a new place. God wants us to be drawn to the unity of the faith, to spiritual maturity, and ultimately growth toward Christ-likeness. That's what Paul wrote here in this passage in Ephesians verse, uh, 4 and verse 15. He says, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's God's vision for his people, that we grow up toward Christ-likeness, individually and corporately. But do you know that none of us can grow that way in isolation from other believers? One of the key themes of Ephesians, as I mentioned, was the church, and a key theme of this passage we're looking at today is the oneness of the body and how every part of the body is needed in the body in order for the whole body and the individual parts of the body to be healthy. A year and a half ago, my wife Beth and I had the chance to um, take a, a couple days in the San Francisco area and visit Muir Woods, that area just above San Francisco where these uh, giant redwood trees grow. And uh, the beautiful thing, and I think you'll see on the screen uh, an example of, of these. You've seen pictures before, but our guide was telling us about um, different facts about these redwood trees, why they're able to grow so tall, why they live so long, and certain characteristics about their bark that makes it more resistant to fire and insects and things like that. But the most interesting thing to me was when she told us that redwood trees don't have very deep roots. I would think just the opposite. As tall as they are, they would need far, far uh, deeper roots. But she said, no, they, their roots typically don't go very deep, but rather they intertwine with the roots of other redwood trees so that together they become, be, become far stronger when they face the, the adversities like winds and things like that. And, and as a result, they're able to grow taller and live longer. I thought, what a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. 
every one of us here is going to face temptation. We're going to face adversity. We're going to recognize areas of weakness, and we need others to pray with us, to come together with us, to come alongside us, to hold us up. Even Jesus, think about this now. When Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane before he would go to the cross, he alone on earth knew what he would face. He wasn't worried about the physical pain of crucifixion. He knew that the weight of judgment for our sins would be poured out upon his sinless life. He who knew no sin. He's anticipating this. He knows it's going to happen. And so he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he begins, uh, his, his tears are like drops of blood. He's agonizing in prayer but he called for his friends, Peter, James, and John, to be nearby and to pray for him. Now, if Jesus needed praying friends, I think we all do. And the teaching of this passage of God's Word is that we don't grow toward God's vision, either as a church or as individuals, in isolation from other believers. We need other people to pray with us, to help us, to stand with us. And so finally, the Apostle Paul tells us to embrace our role in the body of Christ. Speaking of growth into the likeness of Christ, he says, from whom, that is from Christ, the whole body. And notice these words, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And notice the words, the whole body joined by every joint when each part is working properly makes the body grow. So we see the emphasis here. One emphasis is connectedness. It's when we're joined together, when we're fitly connected together. We see the emphasis on mutual service. He says when each part is working properly. And then we see the emphasis on growing together. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I sometimes hear people say, I can be a good Christian without the church. I don't need the church. I can be closer to God on my own. I can be closer to God in wilderness or on the golf course or when I'm riding my horse or whatever it is. I don't need the church. Sometimes people will say to me, I was hurt by the church and I, I will nothing more to do with it. I'm never going back. Well, I try to show some sympathy to a person like that, but help them realize that the answer is not isolation from God's people. When a person says to me, I can be a good Christian without the church, what I'm tempted to say, though I've never actually said it, is I think you're incredibly selfish because you're needed in the church. The church can't be healthy without you. Every part is needed. Every joint is needed for the church to be able to grow. So there's a deficiency. There's a lack in the church if you're not there with other people. 
God hasn't called us as Christians to lone ranger, isolated lives. We need each other. We need to pray with and for each other. And so as we draw to a close this passage, I'd first ask this question by way of personal application or suggest that you ask yourself this question. To be sure, have I become a member of the one body? Doesn't happen by joining a church or going through a membership class, putting your name on a roll. It happens by a personal commitment, a personal decision, recognizing your sin and your need of God's forgiveness, that Jesus Christ is the only remedy for that sin. The one way, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, that by faith we embrace him in coming into an eternal relationship of fellowship with God. Have I become a member of the one body? And if so, am I living out the qualities that help maintain unity? And again, I think this, these qualities should be applied, these qualities of humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. I think they're applicable uh, very much in the home as well as the church. Are you living them out in your home? as well as the church. And then finally, am I helping to further God's vision for the ma spiritual maturity of his church? I want to urge you as we come close to the end of one year and begin looking toward another to think about your role in God's vision for his people. Your role for your own spiritual growth, yes, but also your role in helping somebody else grow. Maybe you're a mature Christian, and the question I would ask is, who are you going to help grow next year? Who are you going to help disciple? Let's pray about that as we prepare to close. Father, we thank you for the book of Ephesians, the richness of your word. I pray that you would take your word by your Holy Spirit and apply it to the life of each person here. Father, I pray for any who don't truly know you yet that you would especially be at work in them. Draw them to become united through faith with you by placing their trust in Jesus alone. For those of us who are believers, Lord, would you enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live out your will and your vision for your church and help us to live that way not only in our church, Lord, but in our homes. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.